Good morning, ladies, and welcome to our second. It really should be third because there's so much to say. I had to catch it, and I hope I'll do justice to the second installment of Megillah's Rust. Just to review the two main themes of the Megillah, because you know, if we're reading this on Shavuos, there must be a tremendous link. You know, it's because we're Makabel Tyra again, renewing our our affirmation for the Torah on Shavuos. And Rus was Megayer, and is also the same time of year, and she's the great grandmother of David Amalek. But we said two main points last week, and that was that the beginning of Mashiach has to be very murky. That Mashiach is not going to come from this uh, simple situation. Maybe because uh, two reasons we gave were because he has to lift up the souls of the lowest neshamas. So he has to have had experience with it. And we also said that the main theme of Megillus Rus is Gamilus Chesed. And we explained that that has a lot to do with emuna. People want to work on their emuna bitachon, not let it just be a vacuum of bitachon. But the more we think outside of ourselves, the more we can connect with the Rebbeinu Shalom and um, connect with the uh, with other people, which is getting outside of our selfish selves and, and and thinking of others. Now, but that's really nothing compared to what we said last week. But in any case, in this parak, we find that. Rus and Naomi reappear in Eretz Yehuda. We just ended it off last week that either it was the funeral of Boaz's wife, um, which many of them before should say it was uh, at that time, and everyone was outdoors, and everyone says, Hazos Naomi, here's a woman who was like the, the most, you know, respectable, philanthropic woman in the community, uh, Beis Lechem, and here she returns penniless, uh, barefoot, and with this Moabite girl in tow. Now, so the question is asked, we're going to see that she's going to go later, she's going to be advised to go by her mother-in-law harvesting in different people's fields, and the question is asked, why didn't they appeal to Boaz? Here he has a relative, Boaz was wealthy, and um, he was wealthy. It says, Lami Moda, she had a relative, first Pasuk, Leisha, from her husband, Ishki Borchayel. Kibor Chayel does not mean necessarily that, you know, he's armed to the teeth and he's wearing a, you know, a shield. Kibor Chayel means that he was great in Torah and in, and in working on his midos. Whenever the name is for Shmo, shame, Aish, and then it says the name, that means he lived up to his name. Halavai, all of us should be zaychad to live up to what we, our calling is in the world. And that's what Boaz was. Now, why didn't she appeal to him? She didn't appeal to him because one of two reasons. The Malbum says that um, Nomi did not want her, did not want a handout. She didn't want a handout. She wanted to collect, you know, like the, the legitimate ways that people would go collect. It's really a miracle if you think about it, that they have a whole system like that of leket and pay and shikha, that a person doesn't have to feel beholden to anybody and have to get, get on some list of some bob somewhere to go collecting, they instead have it available for everyone that they're able to, um, and I just remembered somebody that didn't get on today. Okay, now, anyway, so they, um, they uh, so she was embarrassed that, you know, that, that they have to go collect in an overt way when she could do just what everyone else was doing, but she didn't reach out to Boaz. Boaz, on his part, did not reach out to her because he didn't want to embarrass her. He was, like, trying to figure out how he could do this in the least embarrassing way. 
the Alshech says a different shot that he said that, uh, you know, she was supposed to be the philanthropist of the generation, she and her husband, and they left it, they dumped it all, so to speak, on Boaz's shoulders, and she was embarrassed. Also, Boaz, another thing, according to the Alshech, was a little bit, he saw, he saw this Moabite woman, he was trying to figure out what is this link here, and who is she, and is she legitimate, before he made some kind of reconnection with his relative. Now, there is, there's a machlokas of the lineage here, just a little bit to give you some background. You know, we know that Elimelech was the son of Nachshon, Ben Aminadab, right? That we mentioned last time. And the, the father of Naomi was the brother of Nachshon. Now, there were, there were three brothers. The question is, which three brothers were they? It's the Machlokas uh, in, in the Gemara. Elimelech was, um, was, was, had a brother called Salmon, according to one commentary, and another brother called Tov. Tov is Ploni Almoni, which we'll meet later. The other opinion is that Elimelech's brother was Boaz, um, and uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz. So either Boaz was Elimelech's nephew, or Boaz was Elimelech's brother, pending. In any case, he was the Gadol Hador. And um, now, we find in Pasuk Beis, Atoma Rusama via El Naomi. Rus told Naomi, El Hanaha Sadav Alakata Bishibalim. She told her, I'm going to go to the fields. I'm going to do leket uh, with the stalks, the, with the bundles. Achar Sherem Sachain Beidav. I'll go to the field of whom that I'll favor, I'll, I'll find favor in their eyes. And Rus gives her, I mean, um, Nomi gives her the go-ahead. Now, the, the interesting, the few things here we want to speak about, there's three types of gifts to the poor. One is leket, which is, leket is when they harvest the grain, there are some grains that fall down, leftovers, and they never make it to the bundles. Those, that's the least liked by the poor because the poor people would prefer the paya, the corners of the fields where there's this hole right there, everything's in one spot, it's amazing, and Rus chose, no, I want to go to take the leket where I don't want to be fighting with people, I don't want to make any machlokas, I don't want to be, I want to do this in a way that nobody will have any complaints against me. And then there's shicha, which is if a whole bundle never got collected, you're obligated to leave it behind for the poor. And pay, I think, is just one corner, by the way. One corner of your field is paya. The other three, the owner gets to keep. So she says I, she's going to find Leket in the wherever owner gives her full permission. If I see gives me full permission, then I'm going to do it. I notice that um, Nomi refers to Rus as BT, my daughter, which is very interesting. Uh, by the way, Rus at this time was 40 years old. She's not a BT, my daughter. It's very cute. It's very endearing. She felt like she was her daughter. Or some opinions say that she was, you know, she already passed her t rigorous testing for con conversion. So she was like a full-fledged convert. So uh, she called her my daughter to say, you're one of us. The, uh, you know, she was her real disciple. The, um, so then, Pasagimel. Let's go to Pasagimel. Vatelech, vatavo, vatalake, vasada. She went and she came and she did like it in the field. Achreha Kotsrim. Now, what's this whole business? She went and she came and she went and she came. I mean, obviously, somebody goes and comes. But usually, 
uh, usually just go or you just come, you just, uh, you know, get to your destination. Why are you going and coming? Several opinions. The uh, Rashi brings the Medrash said, uh, Rose had no idea where anything was. They just arrived. So she went back and forth to memorize the landmarks of where she was in order very, not only was Rus we're going to see having a lot of other milas, but one thing was she was very wise. She, you know, she, she realized that, you know, she's got to memorize the landmarks and then, you know, know her way there and back. Also, there's another interesting group, uh, another interesting explanation, rather, when it says, you know, when she came and went, what is, what's she referring to? She's referring to the fact that Rus would start following a group of harvesters only to find that they seemed very lowly individuals, coarse. And she was, as we mentioned last week, one of the most beautiful women that ever lived. So she was loath to go with people who she think she thought would not be a good accompaniment for her. So she kept, she would go and then she'd come back if she saw the people were not worthy. Finally, she grew, found a group of uh, harvesters that she felt were leaving her alone and uh, or a group of people that the poor rather. And she went after the coat stream. She went and collected leket, but after she was sitting after those people that were harvesters to teach us her modesty that she didn't want to bend down or do anything like that in front of anyone. And in fact, the Yalkut tells us something very astounding, which I wish I could live up to in my old age. And that is that when it says, Vatalakate Basada, we're told by the Alcut that whenever there was a low stock, she would actually sit down. This is a great exercise for glutes, all those people there in physical training. And when it came to be something that was tall, she would stand up. So she never like bent over or bent or crouched or did any of that stuff. She either sat down or stood up uh, for its purposes, but it's a great workout. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, now, so Vayika Mikra, and then that, you, that means something astounding unusual occurred. What was the unusual occurred? Uh, just coincidence, she ended up in Boaz's field. This, this so happens. We have to know that there's no such thing as coincidence. Um, there's no such thing as coincidence in this world. Everything is divinely inspired. And when we find that Ruth, you know, just happened to, happened to be somewhere... We all happen to be quarantined. That is not a happenstance. That is divine, um, divine occurrence. And we have to reflect on what Hashem wants from us right now and what he, what hopefully get the right lessons from it. Behine, and okay, we, she's the, in the Sada of Boaz. Now, he also was, Pasuk Dalit, he named Boaz Bami Beis Lechem. That's also the unusual current stretches. Not only is she finds herself at Boaz's place, but Boaz usually was never at home. This is what the uh, Gerish Shmuel tells us. Um, he was usually busy learning. He didn't go bothered with his fields. Either it was the end of his shiva or during the shiva that he was found in his home. At the end of his shiva, in order to, um, you know, just to check on things, it's, 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 we, we learn from this that a person has to check after their workermen. A very important they say, if you don't check, as the Gemara says, if you don't check after people doing work for you, you are throwing your money away. Because people, as we know, are not so honest. They're not so, they may not do things so well. We can't just assume that everything's fine. And that's why it is very hard when we go, let's say, to an auto mechanic, which we know nothing about. 
Now, what does Boaz say? Very beautiful part here. He comes to Beis Lechem and he tells the Kotzrim, Hashem imachem, God is with you. And they answer him back, God should bless you. It's interesting. We have to, we have to understand these, this exchange here. His bracha seems much weaker than that which was answered by the Kotzrim. He says, God is with you. And then they say, God should bless you. That seems like a stronger blessing. What, Boaz is like cheap with his blessings? Why is the stronger blessing given by the, the Kotzrim, the harvesters? Second question is, he mentions Hashem first, God is with you, and then they say you should be blessed by God. They mention Hashem second. There is a relevance there. We're going to discuss this right now. Now, I use, by the way, primarily, whenever uh, the last few years, whenever I prepared Miguel's first, I've been using a parish called Shashue Moed. It's a little safer, but it's a lot of, um, a gather, it gathers a lot of different mephorshim in it, and it's really beautiful. It's written by Rabbi Rennert. Shlita from Brooklyn, who, um, who from Zerachim, who wrote this parish on Megillus Rus. So he, he brings down like this. It's interesting. First of all, um, <laughs> he brings down from the Malbim, who says, it says, Hashemi Machem, uh, God should be with you. There was so much lawlessness. We're talking a mere few generations after Matan Torah, which is frightening. You think about it. You know, this is the Shvota Shokti, and he said there's still people here with divine inspiration, and um, he has to tell them that when they're doing their work, God, may God be with you, and Hashem be with you, to remind them that God is watching what you're doing, you know, that you're not, you must know the famous story, I think I heard about the Chavetzheim, I think I also heard about the Baal Shem Tov, so I don't know which one is correct, famous story of one of them riding in a carriage, and um, the, 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 the coach driver uh, stopped the wagon for a minute and he went to pick an apple that was like on someone's tree but it was like borderline hanging on somebody's fence that he wanted to take it for himself and all of a sudden the Sadik screams out he's watching, he's watching and the coach driver like runs back to the coach, what do you mean he's watching he thought that you know here he's about to take something and he's being warned he's watching and they said yeah Hashem is watching Hashem's watching everything you're doing so he had to remind them God is with you it's a good thing in general. This is a very big theme of Bitachan. Bitachan is to include Hashem in our everyday life. That Hashem is watching. Hashem is here. Hashem is available on the line. Someone just told me recently, someone who was alone for Yantav gave me a very inspirational uh, thought. She said that she was feeling very lonely during Pesach or during some of the meals, and there was no one there. And then all of a sudden she said, you know what? I'm having Shabbos with Hashem. That's what she told herself. And I think I told you this once that I went to Rav Steinberg, the Zal, and I was trying to give him a real sob story about how my best friend had just passed away and I was divorced and alone and, and whatever, and, and my parents and my parents had passed away. And Rav Steinberg looks at me and he says, Hashem is with you. You know, he, he, later he did give me a bracha for a shidduch on that particular visit, but it was for something for me to think about. That we should never feel alone in any way. We always have to feel like there is Hashem in our lives. And in other things, like we can't forget, if we're living too high off the hog, we can't forget that Hashem is watching every little move we make. And we have to, we have to, you know, our task is to know that Hashem is watching us. Now, another thing, the Vilna Gain says, when he says, Hashem imachem, God is with you, he saw Rus was there and how gorgeous she was. He said, remember, God's with you, you know, to tell them that, uh, 
you know, remember that God should be with you during all this. Now, it says about Boaz, he was one of the first people mentioned in Tanakh that would greet people using Hashem's name. You know, and um, the, the, uh, let's, let's understand why he gave a bracha. What's the big deal about giving a bracha? And, and why did they answer him supposedly a bigger bracha than the one he gave? The reason he said Hashem's name first is an interesting halacha. Gemara says, if, if somebody, now we're going to get a drop dish, but just for a minute. So if all of you that with your brilliant minds out there, you can chew on this one. It says when a person is going to devote, they're pledging a korban for Hashem, they don't say la Hashem korban, to God is my sacrifice, but they say korban la Hashem. This is the sacrifice I'm giving to Hashem. Why do they say it in that order? They say because lest somebody make the vow, they say first to God, and what if God forbid someone passes away before the word korban? They made a vow, it must be kept, and the vow could, God forbid, be in vain. Therefore, they say the word korban first, and then they say la Hashem. So they didn't say God's name in vain. However, interesting, it says, um, if you're uh, if you're a person that gives shalom to your friend first, it, it's guaranteed you're going to live, and you will not, you'll, you won't die that day. If you're the first person to give shalom to somebody, well, we know it says in Perkyavas that you have imaktim shalom achaladam and all that, but here we're told by the Gemara. I'm trying to find the source because I didn't write it down. I didn't write down the exact quote, but in any case. The, um, yeah, we don't have it here, but it just does say whoever, whoever is a person that, uh, that makes, an, that says to somebody, the first person to say hello, you're guaranteed you'll live out that day. So Boaz took the, took the liberty since he was the one here saying, good morning, you know, God be with you first. He could first say, Hashem imachem, God should be with you gave them the bracha first using the name of Hashem, because once you use that, you don't have a danger of dying that day. That's very interesting how important it is to be maktim shalom, to be the first person to say shalom to another person. It says the Gemara shalom. If somebody says shalom to you and you don't return the greeting, nikra gazlan, you're called a thief. Somebody is approaching you and somebody is you know, you see a human being, you see, especially if you see a yid, but a human being, even that, the Salam Alakim, we are mechoyev to say shalom to somebody, and we're for sure mechoyev, you're called a godlin if you don't return the greeting. Because a human being is supposed to be precious in our eyes. That's, that's the idea we said of Amunah. If you don't believe that he, what God just made a mistake at the, the factory with this one, we have to realize that how precious each person is in the eyes of Hashem. I think it'll also help us think how precious we are. If we can start seeing the preciousness of every yid, the more we focus on that, the more we're able to focus on our own preciousness and how God made beautiful creation amongst them, the beautiful Klai Yisrael. The, uh, there's also an Indian, you know, the altar from Slobodka was loath to go and walk by houses and just give blessings. Any house with a mezuzah, he would give a bracha. Because it says, Hamavarech Yisbarech. Uh, we say for Avram Avinu that Hashem promised Avram, whoever blesses your descendants will be blessed in turn. 
a big Indian to give a bracha to somebody. And especially anyone can do it at any time of day. You don't need to, to, to you know, you don't need any, any type of faculties. You don't need physical faculties. You don't need anything. You don't even have to get dressed. All you have to do is bench cholesterol at any opportunity. It's a very special thing that we have a chance to do, that we can, you know, give a bracha to somebody because that's really very important. We learned in the Gemara and Shabbos. I read this from Rav Sif he brings down. I didn't get the source this time, but I know it by now. I've said it many times, and I think it's a beautiful thought. It says in the Gemara Shabbos that if a person passes by a tree of somebody and the tree seems to be failing, you're in this orchard, a whole orange orchard, and you see one tree that looks like it's kind of not doing so well, you are mechoyed to try to prop it up, put a mark on it, and um, I'm sorry, the owner is supposed to prop it up, put a mark on it. And why does he put a mark on it? And the Gemara says, in order that people should dominate for his tree. That's remarkable. Like, I don't see any place in Shrona S where you can add in for all trees, autos, uh, cement trucks, whatever. Why are we supposed to daven for a tree? And how do you daven for a tree? Why are you supposed to daven for a tree? Because if you see anything that somebody needs, don't waste the opportunity. Don't waste that moment. Somebody gave you a moment where they are showing something they need. You, as a Jew, should be wanting, as, as, as a Baal Chesed, as a Jew, as a Mamin and Hashem, should care about every other Jew. And we should daven for them, even the smallest need. Now, I don't think Hashem meant to put it in the Shemona Esrei. I think what Hashem wants us to do is we're supposed to just say it right away. I, I hope the tree gets, I hope it gets better. Now, just imagine, we're talking about someone's an orchard. You gave a thousand trees. You see one tree failing, they make a mark so the passers-by should daven for their tree. Can you imagine? It's in order that we shouldn't let go a, 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 an opportunity to give somebody a bracha. Rabbi Victor Miller, who was a big Talmud of Slobodka, he also had this like uh, habit. He would walk around Ocean Parkway blessing places. This person should have Shalom bias, even if he didn't know who they were. We should get in the habit of giving a bracha to every Jew, thinking of every Jew. That's why the custom <coughs> that's developed in some large Jewish cities where people do not respond to a greeting or people don't greet. I don't think it's coming from a Jewish source. It's coming from like the jungle mentality of living in a big city and survival tactics, perhaps. You don't say it's a stranger, perhaps strange men, especially <coughs> strange women. It's, it's, I think it's a myth, but a Jew should say hello. It's Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the Colonel of Rachel, his little had a mother superior attending, and she said, he always said, good morning to me every morning. You know, the, that we find that it's very important for us to greet other people, to say something to somebody else. It shows you're acknowledging their presence. But more than that, our greetings and Torah greetings are always like shalom means you should have peace. You're not saying hello, which in America means nothing, or thank you, which means nothing. We are supposed to want to give to others, and we're supposed to want all good for other people. Even if we don't feel that way, we should say it, and maybe we will feel that way by practicing it. Now, they gave him a bigger bracha. They said, Hashem. Shem should bless you. He just said, may God be with you. And they said, seemingly a larger bracha. Because if somebody gives you something, the Gemara says, if somebody gives you beans to eat, you should give them meat. We've said this many times, so I'm going to really say it in a bridge form. The reason why you're supposed to give somebody meat who has given you beans is because when somebody has given you anything, 
you don't really totally appreciate the essence of what's been given. I brought this story, the one story I usually bring to, there's a lot of stories about this, but the, this, this one that I always like to quote is the one with Ramesha Feinstein's itself, that one time he, was, he went to a walk-up apartment in, on Lower East Side, three floors up to get to these family's house. Every, I, we heard, I heard this story from every real one's a friend of Rafa. He used to go with Ramesha on all his, his uh, collection adventures. And um, they went up to this apartment. Um, they got a nice check, and the lady gave them a cup of tea. We went down to the first floor where Maisha says, I have to go back up. I didn't thank her for the tea. He thanked her for the check, but he didn't thank her for the tea. Everyone says, or at that time, Maisha was 75 years old. Everyone says, you can't call her on the phone. <laughs> you can't, can't call her on the phone. Like, uh, you, have to, um, you have to go all the way back upstairs to say thank you. Maisha said yes. And the reason being is that, think about it. When a person gives you tea, they don't just give you tea. They have, they have thoughts behind it, like, oh, boy, I'm giving the gadol hador. I want to get him to have a, you know, just give him some nourishment a little bit. He should quench his thirst. Uh, you know, it should be tasty. You know, and then maybe the difficulties the person had as they're preparing the tea. So nothing we see before our eyes is actually what we get. What we get is just what seems to our eyes, but there's so much more going on with intention when a person does anything or difficulty. We never know what's entailed, what's involved in somebody giving something to someone else. So therefore, it behooves us to always, you know, when we want to give our thanks, we should know that whatever they gave us is more than what we received. So that's why they said, Yivarechecha Hashem, and he said to them, Hashem imachem. So they said even more than what he said, because that's the proper thing. And we even see this in the Yiddish uh, colloquialism. Like usually somebody says, uh, good Shabbos, and they say, good yar. Answer back always more than what they got, because you don't know what that good Shabbos means, you know. But it's so important to recognize another person and to bench another person. And again, it says, hamavarech yisvarech. If a person gives a bracha, that person already is going to receive blessings. Just because you're benching one of Hashem's children, you will receive more blessings. And it's a shame people don't take that opportunity to give a bracha to somebody else. And most of our things, like good Shabbos is wishing somebody a wonderful Shabbos. You're giving a bracha, you know, or this idea of yashar kayach. You know, instead of thank you, yashar kayach means may your strength increase. And thank you means empty. Now, we have to be proper and say thank you, but we should at least have in our mind, it's not just an empty thing, thank you. Like, um, if you don't want to sound so from and say yashar kayach, you could say you should do many more good deeds or, you know, like... Um, you should have a great day or something. We should answer back, you know, and, and be the source of blessing for others. And in turn, Hashem will make us a source of blessing. Now, so so, so then we find that Boaz is talking to his Na'ar. Now, we were introduced to this young lad who's in there. And Nitzavala Kotsrim, who was in charge of standing, like he had an overseer. He was in charge of watching the other harvesters at work. I think he was in charge of 42 people. To teach us, someone should never be in charge of more than 42 people uh, to oversee, or else you're going to be uh, not having a proper oversight, at least in the field. I don't know. Maybe there's other applications and other types of work. He said, He goes to his, uh, his overseer and he says, To whom does this girl belong? In other words, he heard that, you know, he wanted to understand that she was so modest. Everybody else was like bending down in the field. 
you couldn't even see her fingers according to the Medrzuta, that she was so modest in the way she was collecting that you didn't even see her fingers. So um, he was also noticing her wisdom. The, the, the Alshef says she did something which is very important for us anytime if we go um, picking for vegetables or for fruits with our children and go to one of these berry farms or apple farms, which is probably a good thing to do in the near future because at least we can get out and maintain social distance if they let us. Um, that Rus, when she did so, instead of going like most of us go to the back where it's less picked over and then bring everything to the front. I mean, I'm sorry, instead of going, you know, to the front, you pick as you go and then you keep going all the way to the end and then you come back. She went with an empty uh, bag or whatever it was all the way back, all the way to the back with empty. So then her schlepping is only forward. She doesn't have to schlep forward and back. It's important that even when you go to the supermarket, like um, uh, if you're going to be doing any schlepping, try to make calculate a way that it entails the least schlepping. So this is how she, you know, did things, and she went all the way in the back of the field, and then she brought it forward. Now, the um, so she saw the wisdom, he saw her tzniyas, and the uh, so she's he, she has somebody being mashkiach on what he's doing, and there's two different opinions of what this uh, exchange means. And in any case, it's it's still a, a very educational for us. She says that. Um, Nara Mobiyahi. According to one opinion, that he's saying the negative. This woman is a Moabite. Ashava in Naomi Moab. She came back with Naomi, and she's you know she's she's really deep down still with selfish intentions, and and you should never say good things about Moabim all your life. Lo sidrosh shleimam b'tayvasam kol kol yemechal oilam. You're never supposed to say a good thing about a Moabite. Uh, Malbim says the opposite. That's the Alshef. Malbim says. No, it's a wonderful look. Can you imagine? She's a convert from Moab, and and she's she's staying with Mo, with Nomi of all people. She she hashava means that she did tshuva, and she said, "I'm going to take leket, and I'm going to take within the the, the bundles achreya kotsrim." She followed after the uh, harvesters. Again, that's if you take the malbim and the positive. Um, so, uh, she was like all day, very industrious. Not only was, um, was, um, was, uh, was, not only was Rus uh, wise, and not only was she Baal's chesed, and she was Sanua, she was also very industrious. She didn't waste her time. You know, there was a vort, just wanted to throw it in right here. Shimshim Pincus says a lot of times one of the things that um, middle-aged to older women feel when there's a yuntif, is that they start resenting everybody leaving their shoes all over the house and that they're leaving such a big mess. It's Yantif and they have to cook and they're just cooking and cooking and it never, the cookathon never ends. They're cooking for a million people. It just feels like it's going on and on and on. So the, the, um, so Roshim Shimpinka's answer is if a person looks at it instead as an opportunity, this is my opportunity to do chesed. You know, people are all wanting to join every chesed organization to help the unfortunate, uh, well, they're throwing their shoes on the floor. That's pretty unfortunate. Okay, not just for us, for them. But in any case, we have an opportunity to serve so many other people and, and make their lives easier and happier. Why don't we jump at that opportunity and just like, and let them just do what they want. Okay, of course, if you feel you need, you know, some help, you should ask for help. And of course, you should 
you know, tell people they can take things themselves. You know, to, but on the other hand, even if the person want, is, uh, is uh, relying on us to do everything for them, we have an opportunity now to do the mitzvah of chesed, even it's our own children. And that, 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 that's not a great opportunity. It's like the kind gadol and the base of mikdash. And we get to, um, you know, we, we get to do something for others. And that's, you know, and, and by doing things, we are really emulating people like Ruth who didn't waste her time and was helping people all day collecting in the hot sun. There was some kind of like shelter that was provided that she could get shade from. So she sat down for a few minutes and then went and resumed her her harvesting. This is a beautiful, you know, thing that was turned into songs. Boaz told Ruth, I heard about you, my daughter. Now he called her BT to insinuate he believed she was a Jew. Um, or according to the Alshech, who feels that the, the, the harvester was talking with an earshot, saying she's a convert and she's a Moabite and she's no good. He said, you heard him embarrassed you. Don't pay attention. He says, if you didn't answer, you're now loving the aim and olden. Every time we hear an insult, we don't answer. You know, it's a, we get a lot of brownie points for that. We get all our averas wiped out. So um, the, uh, he said to her, you know, don't go and collect in any other field. We could take it regularly. The Medrash says we take it figuratively. You're already Jewish. You don't have to look into other religions anymore. The Gamlo Savori Mizek, according to the Medrash, it means Zekeli Vianveu. Don't leave from Zekeli Vianveu. Glorify your mitzvahs like you've been doing with the positive commandments. The Chol Sidbakim, and this is how you should cling. Cling to Hashem, as says the Bo Sidbak, Imna Arosai, in with my maidens. Notice he mentions the women. Enayach Basada Sherim, just look at the field where you have to, you know, where that, that, they, that they harvested. Go after these uh, people. I commanded them not to touch you. And if you get thirsty, you should go to these vessels and drink as much as you want, like the youth drink. Now, this is a typical. I feel bad. I miss all of your interchange. You know, as I'm talking to the wall here, which is what I do at home anyway. So I guess it should be pretty much what every mother does. Anyways, um, by the way, again, this is going up on YouTube, Rivka said, so if anybody missed part, they can always pick this up on YouTube, um, which is where the la all the shurim since this whole pandemic started, they put them up so people can listen to them if they'd like. Any case, so um, she falls on her face, and she bows its bed down to the ground. Why did you find, why did I find? In favor in your eyes that you should even notice me and I'm a stranger. Now, first of all, let's go into this whole thing. She looks at the field and um, he said, you can look around. He also, it says that it's, that if a person has a good eye, it's like giving a bracha. Like, they should enjoy their meal. They should enjoy the, she had an eye in tova. She also had a good eye for others. She wasn't stingy. She didn't fargin. You know, she did forgive him that he can have, well, let him enjoy it, let him have it. And if she has that, that person like that is blessed. Um, she gave it a bracha. That's the Zora Kaddish says. She looked at his field, she gave it a bracha. And um, and he told her, he reassured her that she's not going to have any problems with Sneas. Now, why did she fall to the ground? The Medrash says for, from for his good heart and his greatness. Um, I'm sorry, the Alshaf says from his good heart and the Medrash says from his greatness. The Bach says, 
from embarrassment that a person that's exotic always looks and sees the greatness in another person. There's a, there's a quotation like this from Rabbeinu Yona, but I also saw this from, who um, brings down, or Brevda brings this down from the Ruach Chaim, that a person should always have a degree of embarrassment in front before other people. Because let's say if you're smarter, the other person may be a bigger tzaddik than you compared to his background, compared to his nurturing, compared to his wisdom. There's always something. If we think that if once we start thinking we're the greatest, we're off kilter, because that's not exactly how Shem judges. It doesn't just say all the people with, the, with great wisdom or with great yichos come in here and everybody else, low lives. We're supposed to see the beauty of every yid. And we don't know what what every yid entails. You must know this famous story of Chaim Velazhener, that one time there was a balabas in his shul um, who had passed away, and Chaim Velazhener was sitting up all night struggling with a real difficult text in Gemara, and he couldn't get the meaning of it. He was really having a hard time, and in a dream, this former member of his congregation, a simple man who yet would come to the shirim, came to him and revealed to him everything from the next world, how to understand his, his uh, problem that he was experiencing in the text. And he says, how do you know so much Torah? You weren't a Rosh Hashiva, you weren't a Rav. And he said, Rebbe, he said, if a person tries with their whole heart in Shemayim, they, you know, you get entranceway to Gan Eden too. It's all in intention, it's all in approach, and we never know what the approach or intention is of another. So we have to judge them favorably, and usually that's the way it really is. And she says, I'm a stranger. Why does she say stranger? Stranger means even if I've converted, I can't marry anybody. Like, they still didn't know this halacha, and a Moabite woman can marry a Jew. And this is what Boaz is going to reenact that halacha. But, um, you know, I, I'm a stranger. Like, I'm not your yich. And, you know, that, that's what she's saying. She's always looking at how other people are better. Now, in our generation, we're supposed to pump ourselves up. We're not supposed to feel like we're unworthy. But uh, I even heard people that are so into, you know, pumping yourself up, saying in the shame of Chaim Kanyeski Shlita, who says that people today should work on Aniva, Anivas, rather, when they're in quarantine, two things he said, that, that the whole idea that we're locked in is like a mitzvah, the fact that we may be spoken badly of other people, maybe we're machshed the shul enough, and also perhaps we didn't express enough humility towards other people. But that does not negate the idea of feeling good about yourself, that people should feel I have a spark of Hashem in me, I'm a special person. The way to so how do you feel anivas in this in, with despite the fact that you're supposed to pump yourself up? The Bitakan hotline said that I heard he said the idea behind that is that a person should try to feel good about themselves and yet try to focus on somebody else's positive point. But Victor Miller used to say that it should be an exercise person should do every day is to try to think every day about somebody maybe that they don't like so much and what are their great points about them? What makes them so unique and so special? Okay, now, Pasukit Aleph. And, and Boaz said, who God, who godly, I was told by many people, all the things you did for your mother-in-law, after your husband passed away, you left your parents and you left your birthplace and you went to a nation you didn't even know. So it says in Yavama's Kufiyot Zion, Larov Hakala Sonesis Hamosa, 
all of those of you who are wondering why it doesn't go so great, says most daughters-in-law hate, doesn't, doesn't use the word less than that, hate their mothers-in-law, which is a shame, but that's how it usually is supposed to be. That's supposed to be the nature of things. They say it's because it's two women pulling on the same person. If people would realize, you know, give space, it, it's something people have to work on. It's not natural to, um, to, for a person to, uh, to love their mother-in-law. So it's something somebody has to work on. Now, so she, what did she do for mother-in-law? That year she went and she pushed her mother-in-law. She says, I'm young. You'd be embarrassed going to the field. I'm going. The Alshuk says she went on her behalf. She says, let me go. I'm going. Remember, she's a princess, and she's humiliating herself in order that her mother-in-law doesn't have to be humiliated. And then she went with her, accompanied her, and all the chesed she's doing with her, all the, the, the work she's doing, amazing. And also, Basada, and I, and I also saw, and, and you, um, I, it says a double lushan of who God, who God, because it's saying that she left her mother, and she helped her mother-in-law also in all the in, industriousness, integrity, the honesty that she has that she didn't want to take from anybody else's pile, her modesty, all those things that she, he heard about. And he, you know, and, and he said, it, it's amazing what you're doing. You're like Avram Avinu, like in Lech Lecha, that you went to a place you didn't even know and you followed behind. This shows that she did everything with Shem Shemayim. Now, then he tells her, Yishalem Hashem Hashem should uh, should reward your efforts and your payment should be total from Hashem Elokei Yisrael that you came to go under his wings. The um, Usually, a person that says, Gerim and, and sometimes Bali Tshuva do not get all the reward in this world. In fact, they suffer in this world. And the reason given is that, I think the Yavid says this, is because Often there could have been a spark nagging at them, and they didn't embrace the spark right away when they were inspired. They waited. So they get sometimes affliction in this world. Now, by the way, hopefully we're all Bali Chuva here. <laughs> you know, like, because uh, being a Bali Chuva means you've done something wrong and you've hopefully done Chuva on it. You know, so that, you know to, to, to jump after an inspiration is very hard. That's why a person right away, whenever something inspirational comes or a missed opportunity comes, if they're not, if they're up to it and it's not going to harm anybody else, including themselves, they should go for it. They shouldn't wait because it may not reappear again. But what does it mean that they, get, that they often suffer in this world, that a gear could suffer a lot in this world? And the reason being is because that is a praise to a gear. That's not a negative thing. Well, it meant that Rus, when he said your, your payment should be in full, that meant that she totally embraced everything the minute it was offered to her. She didn't hesitate. She, didn't, she seized every opportunity. So he says, you're going to get full, full payment, and you won't be punished at all. Now, that doesn't put everybody else down. It, like, just like the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva, I'm sure that they're in a very high place in Shemayim. You know, as little kids learn now, they didn't have respect. These were Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva. You know, these were, and Lo Nagu covered Zebazet does not say anywhere that they like hit each other over the head with frying pans or anything like that. It's trying to teach us that sometimes if a person does tshuva, then Hashem in this world gives him punishment in order that he should have a bigger olam haba. We're lucky. We're very lucky if we, if we suffer sometimes. We should look at it as a benefit and not as a negative. 
And um, especially not to be too hard on ourselves, especially people have Yasurim, they should know this is, I deserve it. It's cleansing me. It's going to make me a better person. And also it may be a test. That's another thing. But many times the people like, let's say all these Nazis, Yimashimam, they all went to Paraguay and Argentina after World War II, lived until their late 80s, were never detected or caught. It says that in the Chavis Levavis, it says that the way it works is the, the, the payment for spiritual matters is not Schar Mitzvah Baha'i Amaleka. We don't get rewarded for mitzvah in this world. This is not the place for reward. This is the place of test or of affliction. And it just means that you're going to be totally cleansed and you have a beautiful Olam Haba. We find that's what happened. They said, um, I heard that Rav Brevda was at the Leviathan of Shimshon Pincus, and people said, Rav, he's such a young man, and such a horrible, he died in a car accident, and he was such a, a light, a potential, a future Gadol Hador. How could we have lost Rav Shimshon Pincus? And Rav Brevda says that these Sadiqim say that, you know, in order that the, the rest of the generation do tshuva, from seeing the death of such a holy person, they're willing to give up their lives because they see this world as only transitory. And they see the next world is mainly where you get your reward. Now, okay, so now, the um, that you came to lachsos tachas kenafad, you came to shelter yourself under his wings. You know, it says, tov lachasos b'ashem mitoach b'adam. It's better to trust. Lachasos means either to trust or machsa or machsan could mean a shelter, right? Better to trust in Hashem than to trust people. The briskarov, Zechran Levracha, says a beautiful thing. A magain uh, shield is, uh, or shelter, like a person could be in a bus shelter or in some type of shield, but there's still like open areas and you could still, you know, go in and out. But a mahsan is like a miklat. That's a mahsan is like a, a total um, a shelter that totally surrounds you. Basically, a person is bombs are falling. The only place to go is to the mahsan. Roosevelt, Asher Tachas She looked at living a life of a Torah Jew as living in a mahsan. That the only place I can survive, the only place to go is to be with Hashem. That's why she said before, don't, you're going to harm me if I leave you. Rus felt that leaving Judaism was life and death. That's a big lesson for us before Shavuos. That's what she did. She viewed it that she's supposed to think that without having Torah, my life is not the same. I have no life. I'm, I'm, I'm devoid of life by, by being without Torah. So that's why I gave her that compliment. And it's interesting, just as an aside, the Vilna Gon says, very famous, Tov lachasos Bashem. Lachasos also means without a promise. To trust in somebody who has not promised you anything. Then to have bitachon in people who have trusted, have promised you something. The Vilna Gon differentiates. Lachasos means to trust without a promise. Bitach means to trust with a promise. And it's better to trust in Hashem, even without a promise, than it is to trust in humankind, or should I say, yeah, humankind instead of mankind, right. Okay, any case, now, we find that, um, okay, so now, so she said, 
I found favor in your eyes, my master, because you comforted me. You talked to the heart of your servant, and I'm not even like one of your servants. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm lower. The biggest chesed is, is, is to comfort people. Biggest chesed is with words. Often many gedolim did not have opportunities to do chesed with their bodies, but they gave a lot of counsel and comfort to a lot of different people. The famous story in the Gemara about people that were B'nai Olam Haba, and they researched who these people were. Some, some, one of the Tanayim said, you see those two people? They're B'nai Olam Haba. He said, why? They go and make people laugh. They, make, they, they, they calm them down. They can comfort them. That's the biggest thing. That's, that's a comedian is, is the person that gives somebody Olam Haba. So she, the biggest chesed we can do for another person is to give them comfort, to give them our ear, to listen to them. You know, some people don't have uh, patience, but it's something we could all work on to, to, to listen to the other person. And then he answers her, uh, now it's time to eat. And um, he's telling her, come and you should eat from the bread and dip, dip your, your loaf in vinegar. By the way, vinegar, they say, is good for the heart and it's good for the heat. Uh, so, you know, there are some people that just eat vinegary foods. The, it, I don't know if we practice this so much today, but if you look in Kizr Shulchan Aruch, it does bring down from the Rambam that a person should eat foods according to the season. It says, like, during the winter, you should eat, like, heavy, hot foods. And in the summer, you should eat light, cool foods, you know, like like uh, vinegar or something lighter, um, you know, so that it's, it's easier to digest. Um, the... Um, no, I misread my wrote my notes. I didn't say heart. I wrote heat. So I don't want grape juice is good for the heart. Revitzin Kanevsky used to say that, but um, that uh, that vinegar is good for the heat. It's interesting also. The Rambam says you should eat opposite your nature. If you notice, like German Jews are very into vinegar and mayonnaise and everything, and Spartan into the, turn up the heat. You know, it's according to your nature that people tend to eat. So he told her, Bateshev. Um, she sat on the side of the harvesters. Now, he, according to the Yalkut, the Yalshech, Boaz said, go she halom, come to me, come sit next to me. Um, I guess he felt like he's going to, like, protect her, you know, from these all these coarse people. She switched things, and she didn't sit next to him. She sat next to the Kotsrim, who were at the opposite end of the table. The reason she did that is she was afraid everyone's going to look at her, and she knew he for sure wouldn't look at her. So they're going to be too embarrassed to look at her if they're sitting next to her and he's facing all of them. So she chose to sit um, opposite him. By Spotlock Cully, and he gave her like a uh, roasted wheat kernel. Gave her roasted wheat kernel, handed it over to her. He gave her minimum um, in order to avoid other people's suspicions towards her and him, you know. But there's a famous medrash. Amr of Yitzhak bar Marmarion, Bala Kasav Lalam Tachashim, Adam Osem Mitzvah Yasena Belevav Shalem. Very important thought, and I'm going to share with you. And this is famous, this is one of the famous three places in Tanakh where he it says that if a person knew that something would have been recorded in the Torah, he should do it with his whole heart. If Reuben would have known that he would have been credited for trying to save Yosef's life. 
he would have come out and picked him up on his shoulders and taken him straight to his father. And if Aaron would have known that it would have said that Aaron's going to come out to you and be happy for you being the chosen prophet, Aaron would have come out with drums and tambourines. And here, if Boaz would have known, it would be written in Tanakh that he gave Rus food to eat. He would have given her fattened calves and, uh, and all kinds of things. Now, what's the lesson here? Obviously, Boaz is not, you know, he's not at fault for doing what he did. All three of these people had calculations when they did something. Reuven, for example, this is according to Rakshah. Reuven, for example, was thinking, you know what? If I give her, I'm sorry, if, if, I, um, if I make a spectacle out of myself, I, I'm not sure I should save Yosef, but all nine other people are against me. I'm not sure I should be the one to save Yosef. But he, did, he tried to do it anyways. So, okay. Then we find Aaron Cohen. He had, he had doubts, hesitations. He felt, I'm happy to see Moshe, but if I make a big spectacle, what, I'm making a spectacle of how happy I am for him? Maybe it doesn't look so humble. And here, Boaz was concerned with the Sneas aspect. I don't want to make a big spectacle of my caring for Rus. What happens? If they would have known, they would have done more. To teach us something, often we make a decision, we have hesitations. No decision, there's always another side of the story that we could do. But once we make a choice, this is what we're learning from this, we should do it believe of showing. We should do it with our whole heart. We want to we want to do something. We want to accomplish something. Okay, there are there are sides why it's maybe not. There's another side. It's not 100 percent. But once we do it, do it with our whole heart. Now, the um, so she she ate something and she felt full and she vatosa vatespa. That we're told by the 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 uh, the Al-Sheikh, she was never full until this moment since she had arrived in Eretz Yisrael. She right away gets up to collect again, and, um, and then he tells them to leave some piles behind for, for her and don't embarrass her and, and don't bother her and, uh, you know, and, and make sure to like leave more cuttings off on the ground and don't get angry at her. I'm just trying to be Macassar so we can fit in as much as possible. And then she stood there until the evening, a tachbot, this is Pasuk Zion. She banged. You know, there's, there's this thing. It's one of the, the, the six malachas involved with making bread for Shabbos, threshing. You know, you, you're banging in some manner the whole stalk in order that the, the kernel, which is the only part of the whole stalk we need for bread, is going to fall out, right? So she banged it, and it's Eifa Saorim. Now, Eifa Saorim is quite a bit. That's about 10 omers. It's really five days. She collected about five days worth of food. That's how industrious she was with all of her work. And then um, she went back to the city, and she also got like she um, it, she came back to the city. Her mother-in-law sees what she she got, and she gave her gave her everything left over from what she was given. You know, from the meal they had a meal there. She took a little bit of bread and stuff for her mother-in-law as well. And then she says, "April Akadati, and where did you gather today?" What did you do? Meaning, her mother-in-law couldn't believe this was all from poverty gatherings. Did you work for somebody today? Did you get paid by somebody? This is, again, a way of a tzaddik. Look at that. That, that You're starving, and the first thing you say is they should be gebench, the person that gave us this food. First thing is the hakara satov. This is the, what a Yehudi means, the hodos, to be grateful. 
we are supposed to work on those gratitude things, even if we don't feel it at times, to turn on the gratitude tape recorder, you know, or, oh boy, did I age myself? We should turn on the, 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 the gratitude CD or MP3 in our brains and keep plugging it on. Look what they did for me. Look what this one did for me. Look what Hashem did for me. And that's the only way to operate and increase our emuna, bitachon, and vidos um, tovos, and lack of selfishness. Uh, and she told her, her mother-in-law, everything she did, asher asasa'ima, which is very interesting. She told her mother-in-law what, what, she, did, what she did with her. The, um, it says, yoser mimash bal habayas osei ma'ani, ha'ani osei bal habayas. More than what the stucca giver gives to the poor, the poor gives to the stucca giver. Because she says, Asher Asasa Imo, that she did with him. Atomer Shemaish, Asher Asisi Imo, the man who I did things with was Boaz. Now, it's interesting she's phrasing it that way. She should be phrasing it, the man that benefited me, my benefactor today was Boaz. She realized that you're doing something too by taking. First of all, that's something we have to keep in mind. Don't be so close. We shouldn't be close to not take. I had a friend who uh, was very impoverished, and somebody once came to her house. They, they did her a big chesed, and they brought a box of tissues with them. They said, you know, they were doing a chesed in the house of some, some sort, and then they said at the end, um, I didn't want to take any of your tissues. It's just they ruined their opportunity. They could have made her feel like a million dollars if they need something from her. We should always take right away. We're told this by um, the Rush in Orchas Chaim. He says, if somebody does you a favor, if you do somebody a favor, let them pay you back immediately. Why does a person have to feel beholden their whole life to you? You know, let a person feel like they can give. That's so important. That's such an important concept. We're speaking to someone elderly. Talk about what they gave us from the conversation. Everyone just do good or what we can do and we can this and we can that. We're so, and, and there is so much to gain. There is so much to gain. So that's one aspect, is, is to, to do make the person feel good. But here, there's no person sitting before them. So why is she saying the person I did with today? Because there's, a, there's an expression that, um, I'm going to find my question because I'm, okay. That it says, Amara Vyoshua, Yosemi Mashabalabais, Osema, Ani, Ani, Osema, Habalabais. Now, Abdassar explains, besides Olam Haba, that you're giving a person a chance to get olam haba whenever you let them do something for you. Why not give them opportunity to do something for you? There is also uh, a situation that in olam hazeh, listen to what Rodesla says, when a person suffers and you're helping them thereby, they're suffering in whatever way, financial, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, anything, and you have you're the, good, the do-gooder here, and you've gone to assist another person, you should know you are benefiting yourself more. Perhaps, says Rev Dessler, the whole purpose of that person's suffering, because why would Hashem want people to suffer? Well, first of all, the person should take, because you're enabling other people to give. That's what you're here for. But if a person was given an opportunity to help and he didn't, Perhaps the suffering was in vain. That whole suffering was to enable other people. And, and the person's suffering 
has to take it like, look, this is what Hashem, this is what Hashem. It's much more selfless. There's no ego involved. There's nobody applauding you at the end. It's much harder to be the, the honey in this circumstance. We have to take from somebody. It's, it's very difficult. That's why we, we try as much as we can to avoid as much as we can to humiliate another person. But more than that is that that person, we don't want them to suffer in vain. So that's why we should run to give because really they have given us more. They've given us a, a ticket to Olam Haba and we've only given them dollars, which is much less currency than really what they've given us. Okay. Then Nomi says he should be blessed Hashem. She gives him a bracha. Again, she's giving, giving brachas. As, you know, this is the way of our tzaddikim, and we're supposed to copy these ways. Now she's blessing Hashem. Excuse me, not Boaz this time. Right away she turns to Hashem. Like, this is something we should do right away, not just the brachas. How often do we get an opportunity to say something good comes our way right away? Hashem did not leave the, the Chaim and the Mason. And um, that he didn't leave us. Like, in other words, he didn't forget our lineage. Like, Hashem says he's Karavlana, he says that. Like, he's, he's, he's uh, Mago Aleinu, he's a potential redeemer, he's a potential person that can do Yibum. That, uh, to, to even say this, the other these words, is showing it right away. She turns it to Hashem, she includes Hashem Imachem. God is with you. Whatever he do, she right away, she thanks the person, even though he's not present for what he did, he gives him a bracha, and then she turns it to Hashem that never has left her. Now, Ruth says, uh, she also told me, stay with the boys that I should cling to until the whole harvest is over. I can go there every day from now on. Now, it's interesting that Alsha says something very interesting. I didn't see other Mephorshim on this, but it's very interesting. She says, I should stay with the Na'arim. That's masculine. Uh, he told her, you'll stay with my Na'aros. You'll stay with my feminine. And it's to teach us, according to the Alshech, that Rus did not speak a proper conjugational Hebrew. That it was a conjugational error on Rus's part. But to show you, Tzadikuses were not necessarily the best students in Beis Yaakov, especially in the Dicta class. I'm not, I hope I'm not insulting any uh, principals or teachers here. I don't know if they're listening anyways. But um, the point is that, um, you know, that she did, that's what the Alshech says, that she, that she didn't speak in the right, in the right grammar. Um, and then Nomi tells the Rus, she corrects her and tells her you should go with his feminine as the, the female servant and they won't hurt you in another field. Like here's, you're going to be secure. And she stayed with Boaz until they finished the harvest and of the saorim, usually the barley's harvested first and then the wheat. And then she returned back to her mother-in-law. Now this is about three months long. And, um, you know, this whole period is three months. Three months is very relevant for us because three months is when a convert, or, well, when a widow could remarry after three months because in case she's pregnant from the last husband, uh, she has to wait three months. It's also three months is minimum for conversion, um, that she has to wait at least three months because then she knows that, again, she's not expecting from uh, someone else. Now, the uh, Parak Gimel is the Parak that's the murky chapter, so we're going to just get somewhat into it. I told you we're going to go later this time because we have a lot to do with Miguel's Rus here. Okay, so now, the, this is the whole murky chapter that a lot of people don't want to talk about, so I figured let's do it and find, let's, let's sing the, the, the proper explanation of our reportion, how we're supposed to view this third Parak, which is a little murky. 
Mashiach, we said, has to be murky because that way it's more when you don't see the results. You know, feeling and seeing results um, are nice and gives us a perk, but that's not as the shame shemaim is when a person sees no results. Tamar and Rus both didn't look so much the shame shemaim. Uh-oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. I hope it's okay now. Um, so there's three months for the barley harvest. And um, now Boaz didn't make any moves. Naomi was afraid he'd forget. So now she calls Rus to her and she says, Hello, Avakesh Lachman Noah. I'm looking for you to have some kind of a respite. I share you Tavlach that will be good for you. What's the respite? First of all, she calls her BT, again, my daughter, to hint that she can come into the Jewish people. Also, I'm talking to you, I'm about to advise you with something I would even tell my daughter, although, you know, you're 40 years old. Now, um, she's going to tell her to have a manoah. The Rebbe Ezra says that a woman has no manucha unless she's married. Because usually a woman feels like someone here is going to take care of her. She doesn't have to take care of herself. Or Rabbi Renner says, Vayar manucha kitov. That it says by um, Issachar that he's like a donkey that he sleeps with the saddle on. Because he sees that um, manucha, the real manucha, is that if a person can enjoy work, he doesn't have to run away from work, but he sees that work itself is relaxing because that's where he gets reward. That's where he really does something with his life. She's hinting, I have a Manoach, I have a Talmud Chacham for you. Okay, so now um, she says, Asher Yitavlach, it's good for you. I'm not doing this for myself and my sons and my future lineage, but you're my daughter and I want you to be privileged, and I want you to have the good life. It's going to be good for you. Yitavlach, Ashrecha ba'olam hazeh, like it says in Perkyavah, so Pesach can tell him, Betovlach ba'olam ha'bah, Malbim, that that's what you get for marrying a Talmud Chacham. Like all these people, like uh, Robertson Cutler used to say, that this world is a falsha veltala. It's a false little world. It's not true. Or Rav Steinman's Atal used to always say that... Um, you know, the main thing, we live for upstairs. We don't live for downstairs. You know, this is just a temporary world, and we forget this sometimes. Any case, you can find her on Manoah. So, and then she says, Boaz is Modatano. He's our relative. We're with his maidens. He's today threshing his, on the threshing floor with the, uh, with the um, I'm sorry, winnowing. He's winnowing the, uh, the, uh, the, the grains tonight of uh, barley. And you, you should do the following. Now, first of all, why is Boaz going to be there with the threshing? We said he was learning all the time. He was barely at his home when they were working the fields. Why was he in the threshing floor? The whole generation there, says Rashi, was full of thieves. And he couldn't trust anybody. He had to be there. Now, there's a famous thing that I want to put to rest once and for all. It says, Amar Rabbi Eliezer, Tzadikim love their money more than they love their own selves. And why? Because they don't come to steal. So that's why Yaakov Avinu went back for Pachem Kitanim and Parshas Vayishlach. So too, um, a tzaddik takes very good care of his money, his belongings, because they don't come to steal. 
So I asked Rav Shalom Shwadron, Zecher Tzadik Lavracha. I think he says this in the name of Isaac Sheer, if I'm not mistaken, his Rebbe. He says, it doesn't make any sense. If they don't, if not, they're not into stealing, you usually think a Tzadik's not into stealing. Why? Because Olam Hazed doesn't matter to them. So if they're not into Olam Hazed, then why is their mamonam chavivim aleim yosir migufam? Why do they love their possessions more than they love themselves? Why does the tzaddik care so much about his possessions? So says Rav Isaac Sher, and Rav Shalom brings this down, a tzaddik realizes, I don't, God gave me everything I own. And this is something we have to, as women, think about. And, you know, we have to take care of what we have. Because it's not something being extra from to say that I'm just not going to be so careful with my possessions. Who cares if things break all over the house? Okay, once things break, then we're supposed to say it's all in Hazza, we don't care. But anything we own, any possession we own, and our body itself, we have to take very good care of it. Why? Because we're saying it's not present. If we're not we don't if we don't say that the thing we own, be it our body, you know, taking care of our teeth, taking care of our, our health in general. And, and our possessions, you know, this, if you're not stealing, this is a hard, people usually say it's hard-earned, so they, they value it, but it's, it's not just because it's hard-earned and they don't steal. They feel, God gave me something, this was meant to be mine, and if it's mine, just like my body, how can I say that the gift that God gave me, I shouldn't take proper care of? We should really care for everything we have. Culture came somebody else's stuff. It's not ours. We have to take care of it. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's you know, like, like why, why should we go out to a store 50 times and buy something when we could take care of what we do have right now? And, and that fact is less olamazel, less working. When we what we do have, we take care of. We make sure it's in a safe place. And the same thing with our bodies. We do things less. We become, you know, we, we of course Hashem numbers a person's days, and a person is up to Hashem, not up to us if we live or die. But at the same time, we're given a body. We're showing respect for Hashem. It's our miniature olam miniature world as a human being and we're taking care of the, the body that God gave us and showing the respect we have for the human body which is unbelievable and uh, beyond description now we have the um, okay so now there's a lot of details I'm going to try to go as fast as I can Barachat, she's telling you you should bathe now no lady's going to tell 40 year old woman go take a shower you know Either it means she went to the mikvah, according to some in the Forshim. I think the Malvin, the Torah, Tamima, it was it's all spiritual things. You should rinse yourself of Avarazara. The Sakti, you should anoint yourself. That means perfume. This will all be taken in two ways, like a physical way and a spiritual level. Uh, and you should put your clothes. Now, Simla usually means your best dress, like a good dress on you. Here's the proof. I think there was a something they had a few weeks ago. They wrote into the Shidduch column, should people dress down on a date, you know, dress casual. Here we're seeing, you're going to see a Talmud Chacham. You should dress up for it. It said in Slutsk when they would ask a Shiloh, the last generations, people would put on their Shabbos clothes to ask the Rav Shiloh. There are very famous stories, I don't remember who they were anymore, of, of certain tzaddikim. When they would call on the phone for a Shiloh, they would put their hat on. The person can't see them wearing their hat. Just for their own self uh, awareness that who they're speaking to, you know, at least if we're asking a Shiloh of we should at least sit up, you know, don't, don't, you know, sit there, I don't know, in some slouch position if you're talking to Rav on the telephone. Say, give respect. He doesn't have to see. It's not for him to see. It's for us to feel. And we're supposed to, you know, 
So you're supposed to put on your Shabbos clothes. This is because she's going to see a, a special, and also it's a special mission. Going on a date is a special mission. You're trying to, you know, propagate the Jewish people. You're trying to keep the generations going. It's not a time for us to be, you know, and the same thing for ourselves. Like, well, you know, we should try to make ourselves look as nice as possible. I don't have to tell us to too many women. Um, but sometimes there is this odd case here and there. You know, they say if a person doesn't feel good, they should put on, get dressed like normal, even if we're locked in our houses, get dressed, put on nice things, try to, you know, feel refreshed and feel good. Then you have more self-dignity and self-respect. You'll do better. But in your case, this is out of Kavad Torah and Kavad of the mission of the Yibum, of the house of David Amalek that's going to be, of the Shevet Jehuda, the Arata Tagoran. And then you go down to the, the, the place where they're winnowing. I'll t- don't let anyone see you. And, to, um, and don't let him see you. The Ish is the important person. That's Boaz until he finishes eating and drinking. Pasuk Dalad. Now, Vahi um, B'Shachlo, when, when he goes to sleep, there goes the murky part, and you should know the place he's going to sleep there. And you, like, in other words, you, you should know the place he's going to sleep there. You hide in some other area. And then you come, when he's sleeping, the Galisa Markelosav, you should uncover his feet. That's like a hint to Yibum, you know, like is it, the reason why we throw off the shoes of a person that's deceased is that no one can ever take his or her exact place. That's number one. And that's the whole idea. Chalitza is done with a shoe to show that, you know, that, that, that no one is taking his place now. That's why they have to do Chalitza. The, um, okay, and also, okay, and, 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 and you should sleep right at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. So now uh, she said, she was a disciple. This is the hint to Nasev and Ishma. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. She goes down to the winnowing place, and she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Uh, but you see there is a little bit of, of uh, a change. Okay, so Boaz ate and drank, and by Yitavli Bo, and he's feeling very good, and he went to sleep in the, the edge of the, of the heaps, like he slept at the corner, or the edge, really, of the heaps where all the, the uh, heaps of uh, barley were stocked, were stocked, stacked up. And she came secretly, and when he's sleeping, she uncovered his feet, and she slept. Now, the, um, okay. And then in the middle of the night, he, like, gets all shook up, and he, it says he turned as soft as a turnip. Lepus is a turnip, I love face. And he sees a woman is sleeping at the edge of his feet. Remember, she was dropped dead, gorgeous, 40 years old. He's 80 at this time. This is, is quite a feat. And, and um, according to the matter, it says, uh, oh, 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 by the way, one more thing. It says he ate and he, and Vaitavli Bo, like what's the, what's the thing of Vaitavli Bo? We're told by the Medrash that, um, that Shebeirach al Hamazonos, he benched. That was Vaitavli Bo. Sadiqim looked forward to be able to express gratitude to Hashem. That's all we're seeing throughout this Megillah. He expressed gratitude for his good fortune. This is also the first harvest after the famine. And usually people get, plain people get hanav, get pleasure from their food. He gets pleasure from his benching. You know, that, that's, that's, you know. He also, some people say, some of them for Hashem said, he, Badafka ate sweet foods. So he should appreciate Hashem even more for all that he's given him. You know, like this is what he, uh, he, he was afraid he'd be, he'd be affected by all his wealth. So he ate sweet things so he should be able to relate 
to the fact that other people beneath him need sweet foods too. Because otherwise, if he just very, if he's very, um, if he eats nothing, then he's going to not feel towards the poor that they could have anything. Because he says, I eat nothing, so you should eat nothing. He instead let himself enjoy this world, and then he wants other people to enjoy themselves too. He also learned right before that, that says Vaitavlibo could also mean learning um, in the Medrash, to teach us that um, this is what kept him from sinning afterwards, is that he had previously learned Torah, and Torah is the best antidote for the Yetzirah. Now, he slept in the granary that night because he had to protect his things, as we spoke about. In the middle of the night, he sees this woman. He got all, he got, like, his first reaction was, what is this lack of respect here? Like, you know, priestess, like, not, if there's a woman sleeping near me, like, what kind of chutzpah? Also, you know, it's, it's embarrassment that, you know, a woman should come to me. And the third thing he could have felt is temptation. So he's terrified. In Sanhedrin, Gemara Sanhedrin tells us that Boaz was greater than Yosef Atzadik. Aisha's Potiphar all year kept changing her clothes and says, here, I'm wearing blue today. Tomorrow I'm wearing purple. Do you like, do you like the Givenchy? The Givenchy, is that how you pronounce it? Givenchy Dior. Do you like that on me? Or do you like better the, uh, you know, the other stuff, the, the, you know, the Chloe, whatever it may be. She was like constantly tempting him with different ruses. But here we find by, by here's a woman actually sleeping right at his feet, like right there. And then he said, Miat. Um, now, Corny, there's a whole dialogue that goes here. He thought at first maybe this is a ruach. He wasn't sure if it was a woman. He thought maybe it was a spirit, a shindalid, which is really something. Like, he actually touched her her hair because a shindalid doesn't have hair. That's that's what we're told by the um, Alshech. And then the Medish Rabbah says, are you Tahora or you're Mehuar? You are you Tahora or Tmeah? And she says, I'm Tahara. And he says, are you a woman or are you a spirit? She says, I'm a woman. And then he, he, you know, she actually was so petrified, she covered her face, the Radak says. Any case, so what does she answer him? Like here, he's like uh, petrified. He has such a test. And it's, it's a very big test. And she says, Anochi I'm risked your servant. And you should look at this lush and you should spread your wings on your servant, Kiko Alata, because you are the one that can redeem me. Redeem my field um, for my mother-in-law, and 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 you know if, if if the Judaism thing is proper, you can marry me. Now, this, uh, it says you should always speak with clean language. That's how that you know speak about marriage or yibum. You should spread your wings. You know, like a beautiful way to express yourself. You know, it says that cursing out or a person uses foul language. They use swear words. So they say even if it's a Hebrew word or an English word, whatever word it is, it says that's considered snus of the tongue. It's not, you know, it's, it's a nibble pez, a rias shall deeper. That's what the Masilsa Sherman, Perakit Aleph says. That, you know, we should, a Jew should be very far away from using curse words. I heard today, in some places, the, young, the younger people are, are much less into this than we were. And it's something to tell our grandchildren about. Now, so what happened is that, um, again, he gives her a bracha. He did a bigger chesed now than he did before. She's willing to get married to an 80-year-old man. Um, according to the Medrash, Rav Yochanan says he was 80 and had no children. And Naomi davened for him. And when she said, blessed be that man that has come to you, you know, blessed before, and then she's going to give him another bracha later. And he was answered. Um, 
Bruce was unable to have children physically, just like all the Imahos, and he davened for her, and she was answered. But the Gemara Baba Basra seems to have a contradiction. He says that he had 30 children, and he was Ibsan, he had 30 children, and they made 120 parties for them when they, after they all got married. In other words, a lot of Shever Brachas for those 30 children. You do the math. And uh, so 40, four, four parties for, gave four Shever Brachas. That's pretty nice, pretty generous. And they got married and they all died. So it's like, so he had no children. So it, that resolves both of them. Either he never had children or he, he had children, they all died. So she says, I see your, uh, you didn't go after the Bahurim Imdal Vimashir. You didn't go after somebody, whether they're poor or rich. Now, um, it says that Amr of Shmuel Brav Yitzchak, Ashir. A woman loves more a nebuch dikabacher than an old man that's rich. So women tend to, it's not just men that look for the beautiful women, it's women that also would prefer young men. Everybody wants young you know, that's just the way of the world. And here to go after somebody, I've never yet heard of a marriage where the man was 40 years her senior. This is quite, this is a marriage that no one would propose to anybody, you know. And my daughter, he calls her, again, out of modesty and also out of saying that she, he feels she's a Jew. Don't be afraid. Everything you told me, I'm going to do for you. Because the whole Sanhedrin knows they all know you're a woman of valor. It's also alluding to the fact they all realize that a Moabiyah could be kosher as a Gioris. Um, but now, even though I could be a Goel, there's somebody closer than me. Now, according to opinions we said before, Tov, who is Ploni Almoni in the next parak, and we're going to have to be Makasar with that because we're running out of time. And this was a three-series thing in past, but I, I lost track of time this time with the, with the fact that we've been indoors and uh, didn't realize we needed that I was late when I started the Kelsrus. So we're going to have to, in the next 10 minutes, just or just put it together for all of you. So we, Tov, really, we said, according to one opinion, Tov and, and um, Ali Melech were brothers um, and Salmon. According to another opinion, Boaz was another brother. So if you say Salmon was, was the brother of Elimelech and Boaz was Salmon's son, then Boaz was, then Boaz was indeed, Plony um, Almoni should have had, you know, the courtesy of being approached first. He's more of a Goel. However, if you take the opinion that Boaz was merely a nephew of I'm sorry, a cousin of, Bo, of um, a nephew of, of Elimelech, right? Then in that case, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just fixed this up. I was dreaming for a second. If you're going to say that Boaz was one of the three sons of Nachshon ben Aminadav and Tov was his brother, then why would Boaz refuse his opportunity to be a Goel when Ploni Almoni or Tov should have been the Goel. If you say he was just a nephew, okay, he's not next in line. But there are Mephorshim that say that Boaz was indeed a brother. The reason, they say, was his wonderful Midos. The Al-Sheikh HaKadosh tells us that Boaz, out of Der Heretz, felt it's not right to just do something surreptitiously. I should first consult with the other people. It's like to be mamlich another person. Like Hashem even asked Nasa Adam. He asked the Malachim, should I create man? 
we should, there are carrots for us to speak to other people and say, let's all, should we do this? Should we not do this? He wanted to hear. He wanted to give him an opportunity. He didn't want to, just like Ruth didn't want to take anything other than Leket to make somebody feel bad. He didn't want to do something on Tove's expense that Tove should feel bad. So he wanted to ask him. He said, he's the first person. Then he tells her, Lini Halila, stay tonight. Now, why did he tell her to stay the night? First of all, until the basin of David Melech, Isser, the Isser of Yichud with a Pnuya, to be alone with a woman who's not married was not Usser. It was not Usser to be alone in a room with a woman who was not married. That only took place after the basin of David Melech. And um, that's why <laughs> Nomi had like a divine inspiration to send Ruth to the threshing floor because she felt this way it can definitely make a statement and Boaz will do something about the situation already. She didn't want any more waiting. Three months were over. She doesn't want any more waiting. They have to do something about their situation. And about the Kavadah Mace of Machlon, that his name should be perpetuated through Yibum. Now, we find that the, um, the that, 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 that Rus, you know, he says stay tonight. Now, why is he telling her to stay tonight? Like that's, he's, he's putting himself under more temptation when this is a temptation to begin with. The reason he told her to stay the night was because, again, Dara Harris, despite the fact this is going to be very uh, big, he said he davened all night. All night he sat there and davened, and she davened all night. Tonight, he said, tonight you sleep without a husband as a medrash, and tomorrow you, you won't sleep another night without it. But why did he put him into the test? The Rabag said, if she leaves now in the middle of the night, she's going to be super embarrassed if she's caught, like, leaving his home in the middle of the night. Also, she'd be afraid of, like, highwaymen. Like, the nighttime, we know, is not the safest time of night. The people that come out in the middle of the night are not the best characters. It'd be a danger. It's also not a covet for him. So he didn't want her to think she did this weird thing for nothing. As soon as the dawn dawned, as soon as it was the beginning of dawn, they immediately, they, she slept at his feet until the morning, and, they, they, and, and she got up before people, like, right when you can't really see people yet. It's just, like, beginning of you know, the light coming out. And he said, give me the, um, the scarf that's on you and, and hold on to it. And he put six different kernels of barley. Some people say, no, he really put the equivalent of six amarim, of sa'in, of sa'orim, which refers to six tzaddikim that are going to come from them. David, Mashiach, Daniel, Hanani, Mishal, Vazaria. Those are six tzaddikim that are going to eventually come from Rus. And through that six, thinking of the six tzaddikim that were going to come from them, they abstained from sin. The, uh, you know, that's what Yosef used when he was afraid he'd sin with Aisha's Kotitar. He brought down, look at the family I come from. How could I bring myself to sin when I come from such a family? The Vim had to perform certain actions so they'd be McQueen. Like Avram had to walk up and down Eretz Yisrael, you know, so it would be there for his children. She had to have, he gave the six orim to mean something. So some people say it was six sa'in, which is like 190 pounds, if I'm not mistaken. It's quite a bit. And um, he didn't want her schlepping this whole thing. And according to the, um, then she, then she said, vayasha salah vayavo ir. Vayavo is, fam, is masculine, written in the masculine, to teach us that, um, he accompanied her. He walked her home. That's why the Medrash says, Lashon Zachar, even though it doesn't look good on him, he was worried for her. He felt he should accompany her till the city. 
all the country roads he walked her so no one should harm her, harm her in any way. But it was the beginning of dawn. And that's, again, Zara Harris. A Sadiq doesn't lose himself. We see how calm he was that even though he could have succumbed to temptation, he could have gotten angry at her. He didn't get angry at all. He blessed her. He accompanied her. He thought of Cloni Almoni, Aktov. This is a tzaddik. Do not just let the moments overwhelm him to try to get have calm. This is all the way any tzaddik you've ever met has the midah of menucha. There, that's why it says by Yitzhakar menucha that he was totally calm, rational, thinking it over, doing what's right. That's how we succumb. When, when our emotions get the better of us, we should calm down. We should walk outside, take a drink of water, something, so we don't react emotionally, especially women. We're much more apt to it than men. And if we do that in order that by seeing things in a calm way, we can, we can pass our test. But more than that, to try to pump ourselves up, see that we come from Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and that we have so much potential. And then, um, so she, she, she comes home to her mother-in-law, she comes to the city, the next verse she comes to her mother. Her mother-in-law was worried. She's gone for a long time. She didn't know what to do. So she, she says, who are you, my daughter? Meaning, are you married or single? And she told her everything, and then she said, he, he said, he, she said I'm giving you this, these parched corn, these parched um, kernels of, of barley, so you shouldn't come empty to your mother-in-law. So she said, relax until you'll know how things are going to come, because this man is not going to let things rest. A tzaddik does things with reasons. Eric Dalin will just go very quickly, another five minutes. Boaz came, and he sees this Plony Amoni, like Hashem made it happen, that he just passed by at that moment. And he took 10 people and, um, you know, and they sat down and he says that's here, that, that there's a, a, a piece of field that belonged to Elimelech and um, that came from Moab. And I'm giving you the opportunity to be goal, to redeem it, to pay for it. And it's your, yours. And also you have Rusha Movia, which is from his um, sons, married to one of his sons. These are the two things you can take. Sony Almoni refused. Can you imagine this is a chance a man had to marry, to be the, the, the leader of, um, to be the, uh, the grandfather of Mashiach, and he didn't listen. What was the, why didn't he listen? He didn't listen because either, either he had a wife already, and he said, two women in the house, that's going to ruin my shalom bias, or the worst thing was that he felt that, um, that uh, that he felt that I, I I think it says that you're just darshaning you can't marry Moaviah, but the Torah says you can't marry Moaviah. In other words, he wasn't listening to Sanhedrin, wasn't listening to the Rabbanim. He was more machmer than the Rabbanim. It's something for us to think about through this whole crisis that we're going through right now. Sometimes we have to, of course, there's places to ask a doctor, but ask the Rav also with Minyanim, with all kinds of other things. With, uh, you know, like, we, there's a Das Torah that we, we as Jews, it's not enough just to consult with doctors. There's Das Torah as well that we have to always keep in mind in anything we do in life. And the Das Torah is what he lost that beautiful opportunity because he didn't, he didn't do the chesed with his family that he could have done, that there, that there was given 100% go-ahead with the Sanhedrin, and he decided, no, I'm going beyond Sanhedrin. I'm being more religious than they are. So a lot of lessons we learned from McGillis Rus, and that is we're supposed to make ourselves humble like Rus did. You know, uh, but on the other hand, we have to make ourselves great. But Han Kanievsky, Shlita, says, why is it that the Torah was given on a mountain altogether? You know, we always say Har Sinai was the smallest of mountains, but why in a mountain? A person's supposed to have a little bit of gaiva. You have to know I'm a yid. 
Ashreinu Matok Chalkenu, Asher Bachar Banu, We're all great people. We should know, but at the end, on the other hand, we have to be humble because it says the Torah was given with water, with the Mayim. Mayim takes on the form of anything that's given. Rus said, Nasev Anishma Tanomi. We said Nasev Anishma Kabbalah Satora. We have to be a clay kibble. It's Kabbalah Satora. We have to know being a Kabbalah Torah means I'm leaving myself open. And Rus says, it's a machsan for me. It's not only my life leaving myself open, Torah, not just giving us that matan Torah. It's also Kabbalah. Kabbalah means I need the Torah. Without the Torah, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm empty. I'm nothing. Also, the chesed, it's a, to develop our muna, to really develop it, to internalize it, to make it real. And muna, thinking of others, benching others, giving others a bracha. Doing for others, thinking of what would the other person think. Now, can you imagine with all this great, great moment in history that he first wants to approach Plony Almoni? And if if he wasn't a closer, you know, if he was just as close, to give that over and make sure not one human being is going to be hurt on my effect. You know, sometimes to take to make another person feel good, give a person an opportunity that 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 when somebody suffers, we shouldn't let it be in vain. These are all the basic lessons from McGillis Rus. I thank you for listening. I wish you a chag kasher v'sameach, and I miss you all. I miss your, your your words back to me, and the things, the questions, wonderful thoughts, comments, and questions that you asked. 